And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So here we are, it's 2022 at the time of this recording, late in the year, and you know, some people say the pandemic's over. Some people say we're still in it. The fact is, is we've made it through the majority of the crisis, or at least the one that is at hand. And the real question is, in so many entrepreneurs' minds, how do I prepare my business for the next crisis? That's exactly what we're going to talk about today before I introduce today's guest. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Double. Double's a flexible assistant service for busy executives that matches you with an experienced assistant. Double handles all of the upfront time-consuming items such as interviewing, matching, onboarding, invoicing, and training. Go to withdouble.com. And you can get 50% off your first month when you use the promo code HUSTLE22. There's a link for that in the show notes, which makes it even easier to get to withdouble.com. Joining me today as a return guest, it's Rick Jordan. And Rick is the CEO of Reach Out Technology. And he's also a podcast host at the All In Podcast with Rick Jordan. There's links for all that stuff in the show notes straight out of one of my favorite cities in America, Chicago. Welcome back, Rick Jordan. What's shaking, Matt? Dude, it's good to be here. Yeah, it's been you know it's been a minute, and if you you notice, I welcomed Rick back. Rick joined us for an episode that aired in August of 2020, which was called "Becoming a Leader," which I pointed out to him before we hit record was one of our most popular episodes, uh, and still is in the history of of Startup Hustles. So, you know, we've got a lot to live up to, man. We can't go down. No, we're only, only going go up. up right? That's the only way to go. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So you've done a lot of stuff since the last episode. I think it'd probably be good to just start with a little bit about your backstory. We'll put a link to that old uh, episode in there so you can find it and listen to it after you listen to this one. But Rick, why don't you give us a little background ab- about you and what you've done and maybe even what you've done since the last show? Yeah, we, we were joking a little bit before we we started right uh, um, that amateur tornado chaser is on my bio now my official bio you know so yes. it's a yes. bullet point that, that it's funny because that is I, I guess if you take it back to the starting point i forget about that i mean i am i still go out and and hunt after these things when they're around town i'm not like those guys that you saw on the discovery channel show a while back you know but i'm i'm a trained advanced storm spotter straight from the national weather service but that was my seven-year-old dream, man, was when I was that young, just to be able to do that with meteorology and specifically on severe weather. And you you might call me a bit of an extremist. Thank God I channeled a lot of that into doing good for people (laughs) rather than just going out and doing some stupid, crazy stuff all the time, which I I guess I still do a little bit of that. But other than that, I mean, my original uh, career choice outside of meteorology was just going to be a cop. That's the first thing that I pursued just always had a passion to help people and protect people. 
And then I was going to join the military in the Marine Corps and be military police. Several reasons that didn't happen. And I'm glad at this point that it didn't because it's uh, it's just a different path that things ended up going down. Now into cybersecurity, I've been in technology for 20 years, just went public. That's happened since we last talked and completed our first acquisition, a $6.6 million acquisition as I'm building this cybersecurity army across the United States and then the world by just bringing a lot of people underneath one umbrella to build this household name so people actually know who to go to rather than Google. Well, I mean, that's kind of a big deal. Your, your startup went public since the last time we talked. I mean, and, and, the, and the checklist of things that we can, could, or should, or want to do as entrepreneurs, I think that's pretty high up on the list, right? It's uh, it's glamorous in how it sounds, you know, and th- there's a lot of, you know, I mean, the show's, I love your shirt too, man. I just saw that just a bit ago, right? The show is all about that, right? It's about the startup hustle. And this startup really took like 12 years to get to this point. Yeah, because I started the company 12 years ago and then decided to take it public in 2019, like November, December. So when we talked towards the end or fall, I think it was of 2020, everything right then was just starting to get moving. And I think that's important to call out because it took about a year to even get to the point to where we were even forming this entity to go public after even signing the original agreement with the consultants, you know, to, to put the entire team together with lawyers, with auditors, with, with CPAs, with, with a board. I still only had half the board together when we talked a couple years back, you know, th- this stuff takes a lot more time and a lot more energy and hustle than what most would think of putting into it. And it's just, it's different than what you see. Like if you watch the movie, The Wolf of Wall Street, you know, and it's a lot different than that. And it's a lot of just consistency and showing up and just pushing through every little thing that comes up. Because when we thought we were going to do it in six months, here we are literally almost three years later to the date right? When we first decided that I was going to do this. And now we completed our first acquisition, a good size one too, a $6.6 million acquisition. Yeah. You know, the, the, I think a lot of people look at things that you look at your business and say, Hey, you know, everyone wants to ring that bell. Um, it's amazing how many companies don't go public. Right. We're not even yeah. there yet to ring in the bell because we're public, but we're not listed. And that's another step that I learned through this process. Cause I went into it. I'm like, I was asked by, it's like I was being vetted by the consulting company, you know, they're like, what would you do with the money if you went public? Cause I started looking at going public as when I was saying like, you know, it seems like very glamorous, but if we're straight up for everybody that's listening, it's a financing event. You know, that, that's really what going public is. It's like a, a milestone and a marker to go to the next level, to bring in a whole bunch of money. That way you can accomplish what you're looking at. That's what going public really is, is a financing event. So when you do this, that's great. But now we're public because we're public under regulation A, which is, it's called a mini IPO. There's still the big splash of ringing the bell with our big IPO that's coming in a couple of years. So there's even like stages I learned throughout this process. And you're doing that now to do that amidst a pandemic. I mean, clearly represents some level of preparedness for business in a crisis because you're talking about, okay, there's a lot of, there was a lot of failed IPOs, meaning like, you know, during the same time, I mean, things can change in an instant. 
And oh, yeah, I look yeah. back, yeah, I look back at the last couple of years and, you know, my company full scale and I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm trailing in your vapors a little bit, but I had about 125 employees when we recorded our last episode, we're up to about 300 now and had to navigate the waters of, of COVID during that, which is very turbulent for us. And you talk about being prepared. Were we prepared? Uh, not really. Um, not many people are, you know, we had, I, I look back at, at the whole path and, you know, at full scale, we had a hundred employees after a year and which is crazy. I mean, that's a lot really fast. That's a lot. So yeah, you, right on. You're going to create a ball of rubber bands and some issues and stuff like that along the way. And, you know, we, we dealt with those, but we had got to the point where we were just about to be, we were becoming profitable, which is a great milestone for any business, especially a business like that, which is a little more cash flow intensive. And, you know, we weren't a SaaS company. We're not like aiming for that, that crazy multiple and can run, you know, a huge burn rate. Eventually we had to make money. And then here we are in February, 2020, and our biggest client changed their business model and, and ended their contract with us. And then the next month we got a pandemic. And I got a whole, I mean, I got, man, you want to talk about a masterclass and in, in preparing for, uh, you know, a, a crisis. I mean, I had to do it in real time right there. And I learned, you know, I learned a whole lot of stuff about, I think some of it, just when you talk about being prepared for a crisis, I think it starts with like, do you understand the core needs of your business and like what you can live with and live without and how quickly would you fail or disappear should like a stream of revenue or something just go away. And for us, you know, we, and I look back at some of it, it was actually a blessing in disguise because we were about to take just kind of a simple million dollar investment and, uh, and, and it ended up falling through because of the pandemic, you know, the stock market went yeah. in the shutter and, and there was a whole lot of other problems and we didn't end up getting the investment either. And, you know, and so with that, we had to, kind of learn to, we, we lost 35% of our revenue in a month and a half. Now, four months later, we had more revenue than we started with. So I think that, you know, we, we gained in a real time, a, a real idea of what was important at the business, what wasn't, where we could grow. And then, you know, I've, I've learned as an entrepreneur that there is oftentimes opportunity and, and failure Meaning like certain, so we had some clients that just kind of dropped off the cliff and then there was others that were in a real hurry to speed things up because they had something that might not have been sexy a couple months before that. And now everyone wanted it. So, you know, we, we had to kind of try to learn how to make the best of it. I mean, what's one, when you think about preparing any business for a crisis, I mean, what are, what are your, what are the pillars that hold up, you know, your concepts there? Yeah, there, there's a. There's a big one because I, I mean, there's two types of crises. <laughs> there's that word again, right? <laughs> yeah. We were, we're, we were debating if, cri if crises <laughs> was that was the correct thing. It's the, apparently the plural. Yeah. Yes. We <laughs> right I, I, I told Rick that I, I he said he makes up words all the time. I said I do too, and I say them with such con confidence and conviction that they immediately enter the dictionary. Which yep, is, right on. It's true. Sure. It's it, true. it is. Yeah. It's not. So when you're looking at a crisis, crisis. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> when you're looking at a crisis singular, right? There's two types. And <laughs> wait, so wait, there's a crisis and a crisis. 
There you go. Is yeah. That the two types? Okay. <laughs> sure. We'll do. We'll call those internal and external. How about that? A crisis okay. and a crisis. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but there, there's there's in there's an internal crisis. There's an external crisis. When you look at the preparations you're talking about, and as you were ta- going through your story, you know, because I had certain ones during that time period for my business too, and it they were not internal. They they were external during the pandemic, and it had to do with a bunch of different things. And this is one thing that I've always been good at. And I think that when it comes to an external crisis, it's not even necessarily knowing the core needs of your business, but there's a bridge to understanding what the core needs of your industry will be from the consumer or from the business. So you've got to almost be able to look into the future and see, okay, what are people going to need six months from now, three months from now, three weeks from now? It's difficult in a crisis to look beyond that. I feel beyond six months, when, especially when it's an external crisis. You know, let's look at what's ha- what happened with the pandemic. Let's look at any kind of natural disaster. Like as we're you know recording this today, Hurricane Ian is hitting Florida. You know, and that's these are all examples of an external crisis. And one I saw immediately because I've been through this in my industry is there will be supply chain constraints. There was not at that point in time. Everybody's shutting down offices. Everyone's going to need some way to remotely work. And it, for my business, it has to be a secure way to do that. You know, because there were so many unsecure ways, people just working off their home laptops and all of this, and then data was just flying out in the wind. That doesn't fly with, with reach out with what we do, especially when our clients are regulated by things like HIPAA or uh, or different types of regulatory bodies in the financial industry. You know, SEC is an example. That data just can't go flying out to the wind. So we immediately started putting together a plan that, because our clients, an example, we refresh their networks every three years, brand new equipment. It's part of what we do because you should never be working on old shit. It's just not predictable. It's not reliable. You know, does it cost you more uh, on the equipment itself? Of course it does. But then long-term, the downtime that you save yourself from is just a different story. The breaches, you know, because a credit card fine from PCI is like $600,000 per credit card number. It's stupid, right? We've had clients hit with fines of 11 card numbers for $6.6 million, you know, that we've saved them from. So when I look out into the future, it's like, what's my industry going to need? And I've seen things like I'm talking natural disasters, like floods in Taiwan that hindered manufacturing of hard drives. You know, I've seen that in this business as I've been in it for 20 years. I'm like, something's going to happen. We need to anticipate the needs of our clients right now, three weeks, three months, and six months down the road. So just being able to have that foresight is crucial to being able to survive. It also put a lot of revenue on the books for us right away, man. You know, because we were able to do a lot of these things early and generate a lot of revenue, but it was still just meeting our clients' needs that they didn't even know that they had. You know, so a, g- a good friend of mine, David Melter, the original Jerry Maguire, right? He's like, they have to know, like, and trust you. And when you have that relationship with your customer base already, even if it's a consumer product, it's a lot easier to handle this type of crisis because they just know that you're going to be there for them. You know, so even if it's a product, right, like supplements, I could see that as saying, okay, maybe we need, if we're going into a pandemic, we can foresee there's going to be supply chain issues. But dude, not everybody did, right? Not everybody thought there was going to be almost nobody did at the beginning of it. We were just trying to figure out how to stay in business, right? People going home, you know, what do we have to do? But it's it goes beyond that. And in this moment, when when a crisis hits, you have to be able to separate yourself from the crisis itself. 
emotionally. That's the biggest key that I can give anybody, man, because otherwise you will always stay in the thick of it and you won't be able to see past your hand in front of your face to be able to, to view those three, three weeks, three months and six months out. You know, if that requires you to immediately break away and go on like a three-day getaway in the middle of a crisis, fucking do it <laughs> for real, because it, you have to be able to get outside of your own emotions in order to see clearly and handle these things. Then you'll, that's the only way you'll be able to see the supply chain issues or whatever else, you know, like Hurricane Ian, what's going to happen? You know, is, is it going to be uh, groceries? Is it going to be, you know, building supplies? If we need to rebuild things, you know, what are people going to care about the most? But if you're the one that's succumbing to all the emotional turmoil, just like everybody else is, that's when you will fold. Your business will be done if you cannot separate yourself from the emotions happening in the middle of that ex external crisis. So I looked up the, I, I should have done this earlier, but, and maybe define this earlier. What, what's the definition of crisis? And just the simple definition is a time yeah. of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. And synonyms for that are catastrophe, uh, calamity, emergency, disaster, predicament, and dilemma. And, you know, now as a business owner, I've learned that maybe, maybe you're always in crisis in some regards, if it's, because there's always something to, to do better, but we're talking about extreme versions of it. And I think the one thing that I, I, I learned really quickly when COVID hit and uh, carried on to later was the, okay, so was contingency planning. And, you know, the, and contingency planning is defined, that's a course of action designed to help an organization respond to an event that may or may not happen. So you talk about like, okay, so here's our reality. We get that. That's what's going on. And contingency planning, as you know, Rick was talking about supply chain, uh, supply chain difficulties or something like that. So essentially with contingency planning, you're going to be creating a, a variety of different plans and you're, and you're creating them knowing that, that most of them are getting thrown in the trash, you know, because you're, and so, you know, some people say, well, I, you know, I cross bridges when cross I get to them. even create. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing, but, but some people, you know, want to work in this real time thing. The thing I realized looking back at it with contingency planning is forcing yourself to think about it before it, well, before it's time to possibly make that decision leads to a lot better decision-making down the road because you get you just get time to ponder it and, and think about how you would react to it what you do now i got to flex this in real time so I, the the covid thing really taught me a lot about the contingency planning and, and preparing for that and then last year in december a typhoon so most of my employees are in the philippines as a reminder and a, and a super typhoon turned into a hurricane a five, a level five hurricane and basically crushed the city where most of my employees are at. Now, wow. by the time I, we were, okay, are you ever prepared for that? Like fully? No, not really. But we were prepared for it organizationally because we had gotten pretty good at contingency planning and rolling stuff out. And we were, we basically, now we even had to grow from that because now we actually have like a disaster relief team. Because here's the thing, in the Philippines, a couple dozen typhoons hit, hit the place every year. And normally they're not a yeah. real big deal. Yeah. But you look back at some of this and it comes down to the most basic things like, okay, is everybody alive? 
And that's like a, a shitty question to have to ask yourself about people you care about in any situation. But that's the first thing. So we were able to do things like establish levels of severity and, and issue aid and relief. Um, you know, we had to relocate six families. We paid for that as a business and like, you know, doing the yeah, right, right thing, but being, yep. being prepared for that. And now here's the thing. So we got, we had to get really good at that too, but we knew that was going to happen again. You talk about supply chain problems in that kind of situation. You're not just like, Hey, can I get microchips? You're like, can I get water? Yeah. Can I get electricity? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, some of it's, I mean, and, and, you know, the thing that was really shitty about that was it happened a week before Christmas. So oh it God. also was just like really poor timing, like emotionally yeah. and with that, but, but with that being prepared, you know, we were prepared for that. And then the thing is, is, okay. So it's, a, it's fair to say that that's going to happen again on some level. Cause you, know, like I said, you get a really big country that, that has a history of typhoons occurring. The climate is changing. These storms are getting more severe. What can we do to be prepared for it? It's not just like getting through it. So, you know, on, on some levels, when you talk about preparation as well, like, okay, who, what, who, who is going to communicate who's in charge when shit hits the fan, like what are some of the basic things? And like in that particular case, like we were able to create protocol and future just teams. So, so in this last week, another typhoon came near the Manila side of the Philippines and just yeah, it, like in an automatic kind of, and yeah. it wasn't super severe. It wasn't, it wasn't really that big of a deal. We, we had 18 employees, but we were able to establish quickly. We have 18 people that this storm passed by and what's, what's, what's the situation? So we're able to verify that they were okay, do a whole lot of other things and, you know, and, and get them in a spot where they didn't have to worry about shit. Do I need to call in today? No, you need to take care of your family and your home and stuff like that. Yeah, right we'll on. do all the other stuff in the background. And, you know, so some of that's like, it, you talk about being prepared. I think di businesses have different crises. Now, a couple of other things that I think we learned as well, like capital dries up, credit lines can disappear. You look at things like, I remember at Falls, we had a credit line through cabbage of, of just one of those things. <laughs> All of a sudden it was, it was just, just gone. Exactly. It was just gone. Yep. It was just gone. Yeah. It was like, and, and we were sitting there talking cause I, you know, uh, uh, knowing a few things about how these things work, I think I thought that that might occur. And we actually said, should we just max our credit lines right now? And if, and if things are okay in, in a, two weeks, we'll just pay it back. And it's, you know, no, no harm, no foul there, but yeah. So like credit lines disappeared, capital dried up. And then, you know, the thing is for a business, is it just like, you know, it, it, so I had always had this discussion of what, okay, when you think of a recession proof business, Rick, name one, like what comes to mind? <laughs> a recession proof business. I can so, only say so maybe. So the most basic one is actually the haircut. Like people oh, yeah, still get their haircut. Yeah. How many haircuts did you get during COVID? Cause I saw people yeah, like celebrating how long their hair had gotten and all of that. So <laughs> my point is, is like that, that even the most, cause it, dude, it is true. Like actually even like during a depression during that time when I couldn't go in, you know, when, when everything was shut down by the well, States, I got black market haircuts. Dude, I, yeah, so, yeah, I just shaved all my hair yeah. off, dude. Like yeah. that was it. My <laughs> wife, by the, by a few months in, she's like, you need to either grow this shit out or just like do this yourself. But the yeah. point is, is, is that even traditional business models and some don't, the, the, the point is, don't think you're bulletproof. 
Don't think yeah, you're right bulletproof because yeah. a lot of things trickle down to a lot of other people. And I want to get your opinion on that, but I, I got to do a little work first and remind everyone that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Double, the experts in pairing founders with remote executive assistants you can trust. Startup Hustle listeners can go to withdouble.com, use the code HUSTLE22 and unlock 50% off your first order, or you can just click in the link in the show notes. It'll take you there real quick. You can also get links for Rick's podcasts and other things that we may have spoken about during this episode. You know, I think that, that doing this, this ad read for double also kind of reminds me of like the importance of having in crises of having trusted people that can go get shit done. And I formally, for unfortunately sure. I have yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, same man. I mean, even with the typhoon you mentioned with the Philippines this past week, cause I, we have an officer too. You know, and it, it was just shut down. It wasn't as bad yeah. with that, yeah. but then there were contingencies. Okay. How do we handle the increased workload, uh, yeah. state side, you know? And so that was already in place. You know, I've got good people that I do trust. Uh, all I had to do is just strictly ask that question, right? Is just, what's the plan? Just, just give me bullet points. And then because giving me bullet points just tells me that there is a plan. <laughs> that, there, yeah. that there is a contingency yeah. plan that's said right. beyond that. I don't need to know, you know, as a CEO, yes. I don't need to know exactly what's going to shake down, you know, but, but if you're talking about a startup, cause it, you mentioned a couple of things, it's like having those contingency yeah. plans. It's rough to have those types of contingency plans when you are in the beginning phases of business, because you are it's adapting, it's you know, tough to even have a decent plan, much less a contingency. Yeah, exactly. Plan on yep. yeah. and I, I remember yeah. the same thing with cabbage and I, I did not have that foresight to max out that line. I mean, we, we got cash. Well, we didn't either. We didn't max it. It was sitting there and we were like, yeah, I I honestly would have probably appreciated borrowing that at at some point. Yeah, for sure. I saw that evaporate, but yeah. So like we didn't, we didn't, I, I just was thinking, I was like, man, this, I could see them shutting this off, which by the way, they did for like hundreds of thousands of people. I know. And then never reopened them. They got acquired by Amex or something. I was like, you know what, by the way, fuck you cabbage. Cause I wouldn't have opened my account with you again. Cause I didn't really, the, the, some of these things and I get it, maybe you had to protect your business in that regard. But you know, it was like when these kind of things happen on no notice or anything like that, I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah. It was the same across (laughs) the board because right away. I mean, if you think of, because there was cabbage, right? And anything fintech, because that that's higher risk yeah. money. Yeah, yeah. The, there's higher interest rates. There, you know, there's weekly repayments on those things. From what I remember yep. with cabbage, yep. You know, it's it's just higher risk lending. But then, part of what I've been doing for geez a decade is equipment rental programs that were always underwritten by a third party. And that was another scenario because, as I was talking about, like I could foresee the supply chain, right? that was going to just dry up. So it's like, cool, let's do all of these things right now. So our customers don't have to worry about them. Yeah. We'll enjoy the revenue, but we were renewing early too and eating the margin on these deals just to renew them early because I knew it was the right thing. And we would buy them out early, which is just cash for us that we would have to put out as rebates to pay off the contracts early, whatever, put some nice revenue on the books for us. But we were about two months into that. And the the primary underwriter that we were working with for years said, you know what, you just wrote $1.5 million worth of business here and we don't want to go any further with you. I was like, are you kidding me? 
And they're like, no, this is just too much for us to handle right now. Yeah, and because at the very beginning, it, it's almost like business credit and financing, with the exception of Cabbage, anyways, seemed to like open wide up. I mean, because you had PPP going, you had Idle from the government programs, you had all these, you know, private lenders that all of a sudden was like, "We'll help you," you know, "We'll give you cash," you know. It was like a a, a frenzy, and I hope that everybody grabbed but as that much. That didn't as they happen could. for a few months. So, like March of twenty twenty. So I was actually in the Philippines at our office when all that broke out. And, wow. and it was weird because, you know, because, because so much of that was, it was about seven to 10 days. It was like, I was almost like I was in the future compared to the U.S. But the, the credit line and that kind of stuff, that dried up like, like lickety split. And then the PPP quick, yep. stuff came, it came in a little bit of response later. Now here's the thing is look at, okay. So we learned, I think we learned a lot. Like, you know, I didn't, I, I am a, a, a vigilant observer of, of, on, of entrepreneurship in general. And like, there's things that you just didn't realize, like the average uh, business in the U S only had like seven days of cash on hand. Yeah. You want yeah. to prepare. You want to prepare for the next crisis. Change that. Right on. If you can right find a way to change that, and you know, so some of that is like you get back to that. Oh, cash is Wow. A week, dude. Oh. A week, and that was the average oh, no. business, which is insane. Well, that's right. Like, well, if you look at it, right? Because I, I mean, I think back, you know, and I don't mean to make this sound like this was a long time ago, because prior to 2018, I wasn't even doing a million dollars a year in revenue. You know, 2018 was when we broke the seven million dollar threshold, and then it, or sorry, the the seven figure threshold, and then it just accelerated exponentially from there. But during that time, you know, because you think of most consumers, right? If you use the phrase "paycheck to paycheck," that's where it comes from, because it, 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 I mean, this comes back to planning for the crisis, right? You should never run your business like you run your own personal finances. Yeah, because if you're if you're running them paycheck to paycheck, and then you transfer that mindset into a business, your business will get to that point to where a lot of them were, and they just fold. You know, because I don't know a lot of businesses that are in the seven figure range that have only a week of cash on hand, only seven yeah. days. It's yeah. a lot of businesses that are under that. Or if they dollars. or if they are, then there's there's a, a credit structure that in that's in place and in motion and cyclical in that regard just meaning like there's like you know there's a there's there's well you, you know a lot of product manufacturers have to ship stuff and might not get paid for three yeah. three to six months from costco or something and there's yeah, you, you know businesses like c2fo here in kansas city that that help you know smooth that that kind of payment transition out and, yep. you know, different stuff like that. But that, that's, I mean, that's what, that's what the, you know, what immediately slowed down is, you know, cash flow concerns. And we, we ran into that with our clients and stuff is because keep in mind, if you're a B2B business, uh, whatever effects affect your clients are going to trickle downstream to you. And, and sure. knowing and understanding that that's also another thing we did is we actually went through our entire client list and, tried to determine who, who was likely to be really affected by the pandemic. So you talk about, well, I mean, I think the most pronounced thing was, was now we don't, I mean, we're, we help people build software at full scale. So, you know, we don't yeah. have restaurant clients, but restaurants were like the thing that was devastated right away. And you can still see that. I mean, everyone has a local something that was there and now isn't. 
And, you know, that's yep, where that yep. PPP and all that stuff came through. That was, that was pretty, uh, uh, we were, we were fast at getting that, but here's the problem, dude. I, I have five people in the U S and hundreds overseas. They don't give you PPP on them. Right on. So, you know, so some of that was, was a challenge. And then, you know, uh, so I want to talk a little bit about like, you talk about what we were saying, crisis or crises or internal or external. (laughs) So an external crisis, or was that crises? Who knows? The external stuff that comes in is, I mean, you need to think of these as waves that are going to, like they say, you know, the rising tide raises all the boats. Well, so one of the things that I had to deal with immediately, and I was actually, so I, I mentioned I was in the Philippines at the time, and I was supposed to leave on March 13th. And this is, Ooh. so March 13th was the same day that they like canceled the NBA and like a bunch of stuff and like shit got real in a hurry. And I woke up that day and I was supposed to talk to my whole company in two different groups that night. So I had like 60, 70 people in each one. And I woke up that morning, I just felt sick to my stomach. And I called my wife and I said, I can't, I was supposed to leave on the 15th. And I said, I can't come home right now. And she said, why not? And I said, I can't stand in front of my entire company today and tell them that I don't have the answers, but we're going to figure it out and everything will be okay. And we'll do all this and we'll do all that. And then jump on my jet plane and come back to America. I said, I need to figure some shit out. And I mean, I I'm choked up like, you know, and I care about my people. And I just, and so like from a leadership perspective, I I ended up delaying my trip, which, which then somehow I ended up leaving on the last day before they like cut off flights. Like I could have got trapped there. It was kind of, kind of risky, but I knew I needed to be there. So I think some of it, when you look like, so I was, but I was able to go into those meetings and say, Hey, look, I'm here with you. I don't have the answers. I've never done a worldwide pandemic and neither have you and neither has anybody because the last time this shit happened was in like 1910 or whatever. And I, but I know that we're going to make the best decisions we can. We're going to figure it out. Now in the market we were at shortly after that, uh, we had competitive employers like just slashing people's salaries, laying people off, whatever. We did none of that. None of that and ate it. We ate it, dude. And and guess what? That money came out of my pocket, right? Or, or, or got borrowed or something. Absolutely. It was right on. But but part of that crisis management though is dude, we, we set a foundation of concrete and brick and mortar and strong granite for later, because as people saw the way the company cared about them, it actually turned into a huge asset for us down the road because as other companies were doing things that we weren't doing, we found these people are coming and applying to work with us. And that, you know, and they didn't feel they didn't feel that the company cared that whoever they were working for cared about them as much or any of that. And maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but you know, the the social capital that was established within the company created a culture and a foundation for some really, really rapid growth in the time that followed it. And, and a lot of that was just about doing what we would, what we would say was the right thing. But yeah, so I mean, some of the is, is if you have an external crisis, I think it's fair to assume that you have an internal one that you have to address or prepare for. Like, don't, don't be naive and be like, oh, well, that's affecting the world, but not us. You know, that's, that's not a good approach. So, you know, we knew people would be skittish and have a lot of questions and want to know what's up. And, 
you know, and by the way, so we had that meeting and at the time we're like, we're going to stay the course. And literally the next day we went from that to like, okay, don't come back to the office. Like, yeah, cause yeah, it was that, you know, fast. I mean, we just didn't yeah. know, we didn't know at that point. Yeah. And you keep in mind, that was like, no one knew anything about COVID at that point. We didn't yeah. know, like, yeah. it, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a, yeah. So well, let's bring it back to present too, because you could say that the same type of external crisis right now can affect things internally because there's, you know, supply chain is still destabilized, but the biggest thing is that costs are rising rapidly with inflation. And yeah. the cost of money is going way up too. You know, so as I'm looking at acquisitions, it's like, you know, where things used to be three and 4%, now it's literally two, two and a half times that as far as the cost for me to continue to grow in the, the plan that I had laid down. And it's more difficult to access cheap cash these days than it was even two years ago. So what do you do in those circumstances? So we were talking about credit, right? The best thing that I can tell everybody right now, because this becomes, this becomes an internal crisis in a way, because everybody that's with you, everybody that's on your team right now is having their own personal costs raise from groceries to medical bills to any sort of housing that they're a part of, right? And in the meantime, housing values are dropping too. So it's, it's so crazy because everybody that's around you as a leader, their costs are rising right now. And I'm still going to hold true to what I always believe is that in these times of crisis, regardless, it is never a time to pull back. It is always a time to double down. Because like you were saying with your competitors, as they were slashing salaries and cutting jobs, you, that's all that's happening right now. And I'm going on being like, you know what? I want to go on and I want to acquire. I want to hire. I want to sell. This is the time to where you can really accelerate some things. It brings a lot of stress upon you for a certain season. But at that point, you come, you come out and you emerge on top of all of your competition, then nobody can catch you. Or at least you've got such a huge head start. I know that I'm giving myself now, you know, as the first publicly held managed service provider in the industry ever, the, the only pure one in, in this cybersecurity and IT services space. I'm widening the gap right now. And, and remember, like, it was just my company, right? A couple million dollars of revenue just a few years ago when I started this process. Didn't even make the first million dollars in a year until 2018. But then the pandemic happened and I doubled down. And now inflation's happening and I'm doubling down again. I'm finding ways to get this stuff done because it's going to widen the gap before anybody else can catch up to me. That's a key in any sort of crisis is that it's, it's not a time to really pull back. It's a time to evaluate because you have to recognize where you are right now. Because the, the truth is the truth and the truth is always a good place to start. Recognize where you are right now and then figure out how to use this as an accelerator to move forward. Not a place to start cutting and trimming because that's what everybody else does. I can't stand that. It's like, that's great. Well, that's you can that go wave. do that. That's that shockwave. You know, I knew yeah. that, I knew that if we did that, we would send shockwaves through the company and send people looking for something else or whatever. And like, and that's the thing. And you know, that's the hard, I think the hard part about crisis is cause you've, okay. So, uh, there was a, there was a, a phrase and, uh, you know, Sequoia capital, it, it has, has now developed a reputation for sending some pretty good letters out 
and and they're known and they sent one out to all their founders and that one and you know there's some language in there the one thing is your goal is to survive in advance like focus yeah. on that and that but that's a tough thing because you know you don't want to you don't want to well i you don't want to sacrifice the long term on the altar of the immediate if you don't if you can avoid it and now that's first that's not always possible in some regards there was a lot of people that it, but here's the bottom line is the business doesn't survive we don't need to have this conversation anymore it's game over that's it you got it it's game over and you get to do something else or go get a job or do whatever and that's it so you know and that's and so you, i think that you got to always weigh these implications and that's kind of back to that original contingency planning idea like what could or would happen if we did this and or, or whatever. And, you know, and sometimes you can even make these things a community decision. And you might find that you have enough belief and support in your company that they're willing to make some short term sacrifices. And, and that and that look, that's a lot more palatable in that situation than you just saying that's what you're going to do. Now, you also might find that you don't have the kind of support you need. But in the end, like these decisions, whether I don't know, you're going to if you're if your goal is to stay in business until later, I, th I think part of that planning and that preparation is like, what would happen if and if the answer is we get to start over again in six months? Well, I, I mean, I'm kind of in your boat. I'm, I'm going all in. I mean, because if yeah. we're fucked down the road anyway, what's the difference than do it now? You know, like yep. I'd almost rather go broke faster than take forever to do it. It's kind of like the fail fast. <laughs> so much more right? fun. Like, yeah. Are we going to start <laughs> over? Like, can we just just get this over with? Just tear this bandage yeah. off. So, all right. Once once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by our friends over at Double. Double's remote executive assistance can help you with everything from email and calendar organization to expense reporting and database management. Find your perfect assistant today when you head over to withdouble.com and use the code HUSTLE22 and unlock 50% off of your first month. Even easier, just go down and click the link in the show notes. You can go down and you can learn more about Rick, listen to that last podcast, a whole lot of other stuff. And you know what? You're down there, hit that subscribe button, maybe that fifth star, a whole lot of other stuff. Uh, you know, Rick, as we, as we wind, uh, as we come to a conclusion of, and thanks for joining me again, man, congrats on all the success. I, uh, you know, your, you, your last episode becoming a leader was, was one of the most popular and, and still is in the history of, of the podcast. And that says a lot coming up on 4 million downloads. Now, now with that, I mean, if I, when we talk about, uh, you know, a little freestyle here at the end, I mean, what's the, what's your top advice for a founder when, when it comes to, I mean, a founder, a business owner, when it comes to preparing uh, your business for crisis? Yeah. Don't lose sight of what you're doing it for to begin with. And when I say that, my advice to any founder as a foundational piece, regardless, is always build your business to sell. Even if you're not going to do that, build your business to sell it. You know, let's say you want to make a generational, but the, the, that one mindset piece will get it structured to where you have the right amount of cash in the bank. You have the right resources. You have the right contingency plans for somebody to come in and just want to write you a check today for the full amount in cash because you've structured this thing so well. If you do that, you will be able to survive the crisis, especially like we talked about, right? Seven days of cash. Right. If you're That's building nothing. your business, That's to nothing, sell, yeah. exactly. Yeah. If you're building your That's business to sell it to paycheck. Yeah. Right on dude. Yeah. 
from day one, if you're building your business to sell it, you'll be able to weather the crisis a lot better. Yeah, I think I think for me, I think I'm going with the back to that, like have an understanding of what the core needs are of the business, like what you truly need to keep it alive. Like in my case, it was not it, 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 it was like, OK, I can't. I mean, we're a service provider and I need great people to provide great service. So therefore, our biggest asset at our company is our people. And so I got to take care of them first. And and um, I think that it's important while doing that, especially if it's a time of like no growth or like, you know, the term bonus is is built around having something in excess to split up. Um, And, you know, I I I didn't get paid for months. And I was the only one and I'm okay with you. that. I'm Name. totally okay Name. with that. And, and, you know, Name. and, and with that, um, but be prepared for that. And yeah, I think I, I agree with you a hundred percent on the, like the you talk about, okay, if your business is ready to quote sell, that means you have good fundamentals about the business, which yeah. is kind of back to that core needs. Like, could you need a credit line? Like we were just talking about that at full scale today. Like we don't, I mean, we got, we're, we're in great condition as a business and we look at it and we're like, you know, we don't have a credit line because we've never really yeah. needed it, but why don't we? And the answer is because we get busy and we don't go set up some basic shit the way that we do it. And I think the, exactly. the, the thing that I think the overarching theme here is, is no matter how great your business is or how lucky you are as a person, which I don't really believe in luck, you're going to have another crisis. I mentioned before we hit record that my wife said to me a few months in the pandemic, she's like, you seem like you're handling this pretty well. I was like, it's just another problem. And, and I've learned that there's two things in business, Rick. This is it. That's all I've learned. One, there's no such thing as software without bugs. And two, there's no such thing as a business without problems. Amen. Yeah. I think we'll just end there. I'll see you around, man. Let's Do not it. make it two years right. this time. All right. all right. Cool. Thanks. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.